Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Places Where We Go podcast. And today we're going to take you to a small village in England called Dunster. Dunster is a medieval village. And it definitely has that feel as you enter into it. It has the cobblestones and and it's just it's just a wonderful little village. It's kind of like stepping back in time. It to is. A degree. It is. Yeah. Maybe maybe we um, give a little overview of why we even got to Dunster to begin with. So. Well, that was you. You had kind of put out an itinerary, and Dunster kind of landed there, right? Well, so it kind of landed there. Somewhat accidentally in terms of the specific place. So, you know, the last episode that we had, we talked about Watch It. And we had a very specific reason to get to Watch It, which you go ahead and listen to the past episode because we're not going to repeat all that. But when we were putting the itinerary together, at the time we were booking the trip, I wasn't able to find lodging that was going to work for us in Watch It, which is maybe even a smaller town than Dunster. You know, I I don't know. So, So the next... Like closest town to watch it that I was able to find lodging at was Dunster. And, you know, we were looking to get a taste of the Somerset area. Dunster is in Somerset. So, you and know, we knew nothing about Dunster. Zero. All I knew was, was it was in Somerset. Right. And it had a place to stay mm-hmm. and it was close to a national park. It was close to watch it. So we booked a couple of, at least a couple of nights, couple two or three nights. nights. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that, that place later. But that's that's how this ended up on our itinerary. And it was a great find. Oh, super find. Yeah, yeah. we um, did find out that Dunster was actually mentioned in what they call the Doomsday Book, which is a manuscript record of the great survey of much of England and parts of Wales, completed in uh, 1086 by order of the king, William the Conqueror. A long time ago. Well, I can tell you that there is a fable that uh, I am connected to William the Conqueror. You're connected to everybody. No, I read this book and it told uh, me that, but I'm, I'm not, I haven't verified it yet. I guess that'll be a story for another day. Yes, it will. We'll have to do some more research. <laughs> yes. And then we also learned that Dunster began as a Saxon village and the name Dunster means Dun or Dun's Tor or Dun's Craggy Hill. So apparently it was named after some character named Dun, but nobody knows who Dun was. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But we do know that there is today this village of Dunster, which you can go to. Um, has a rich history of, you know, back in the day in the 13th century, was famous for its wool, its weaving, its spinning, and was a, a center for the woolen cloth trade. So it's said that Dunster is this kind of like this village that's locked in a time warp. If you go back to the 1800s, the population there was only 772, which I, I believe was the first census 
that was done in Dunster. And you fast forward to today, and there's only about a thousand people. So not a whole lot has changed in the last 200 years. But that also is said that's kind of what preserves some of the magic and the charm of Dunster is that it kind of has retained this old style, very small town feel. Um, the other thing that I learned is that there's 200 listed buildings in Dunster. So these are the buildings that have some kind of architectural special significance to them. And you know, my understanding of the listed building thing is that that means that people can't change them, adapt them, you know, do anything to them without special permissions. That's a lot of buildings. Yeah. So what struck me is there's 200 of these in Dunster. When I think about our time in Dunster, I don't remember seeing 200 buildings. Yeah, so it's like say, almost. It seems like that's like most of the village. Yeah. So if you're into architecture and the whole listed building thing, you're going to find plenty of those types of buildings in this village. I think that's what makes it so popular today. I think people Mm -hmm. um, get that very medieval feeling to it, and now it's a big draw. Mm -hmm. We actually ran into a couple and started a conversation as we were checking in, remember, to the the lodging? Uh, yeah. And they had been there several times before because it's one of their favorite places Mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. They are from England, but... You know, I suspect that for a lot of people, Dunster is not on their radar. Dunster is probably a place like it was for us that most people maybe have never heard of, especially if you're not from England. It's not going to sound familiar at all. So there's the whole, how do you get there? And the biggest, closest city, I believe, is Taunton. Mm -hmm. And so from Taunton, it gets a little tricky in terms of how you then get from there, because you can get from a lot of places in England to Taunton via train. But once you get to Taunton, probably your best option to make your way over to Dunster is via a bus. And bus 28 is the one that's going to get you there. And that's what we opted to do with a side trip to watch it. Yeah, we first stopped and watch it to get that under our belt Mm -hmm. because we knew we wanted to stop there because of the ancestral connection. And then we just, it was time to leave watch it. And we went to the bus stop and that was, that was a interesting little conversation we had with a a lady there. Yeah. So I was concerned. I think I've mentioned this on, on other podcasts that we've had is when it comes to traveling on a bus, That has been, for me, one of the more confusing types of travel, mainly because when you're on a bus, there's more often than not nothing that tells you where you are, where to get off. And when you're not familiar with an area, it's just confusing. So when we were sitting at that bus stop and watch it, I remember as I think I yelled out to everybody who was standing around there. Which wasn't too many, but there was a few people. There's a few. You know, does anybody know anything about Dunster or how to where we would get off? And there was silence, except for the one lady that was also getting on the bus and going in the direction that we were going in. And she was very perplexed that we, it seemed to me, Hmm. that we were asking how, you know, where to get off to get to Dunster because her first reaction was, oh, you can't do that. You can't, there's no stop at Dunster. Yeah, so I think she said that we have to go all the way to Minehead. Yeah, and there was two stops at Minehead, and she was going to Minehead, and she was getting off at the second stop, but she said get off at the first stop at Minehead and then catch another bus, another local bus. Yeah, some kind of city bus. So we did as we were told, so we stayed on this this bus until we got to Minehead, and I think as we were... Yeah, now, mind you, I have a little side thing on that. Go ahead. Because there was a stop before Minehead, and there was no signage that I, you know, that was obvious that you could see. And this couple 
they were probably a little bit younger than us mm. and they had said, oh, this is it. And they got off and they grabbed all their luggage and they scooted off the bus. And then we stayed on the bus and off we were to Minehead. We, we weren't at Minehead yet. Because we were told to go to Minehead. We were listening to the locals. <laughs> yes, we were. Yeah. And I think I, I, as we were getting you know close to what I thought was Minehead, I remember, you know, making my way to the bus driver and, hey, are we there yet? And he would tell me no. And then five minutes later, I'd run back up to the front of the bus and, hey, are we there yet? No. And then, you know, five minutes later, finally, we were in Minehead. So we get off the bus and then we're looking for this local bus that we were told exists that would get us to Dunster. Right. And, and it was nowhere to be found. Yeah, we found we no walked bus. that main road. Quite a bit, yeah, I mean, up and down. Yeah, and we looked at the signage on the bus stops there and, and couldn't... And there, I was like, what are we missing? I couldn't figure out what we were missing. Yeah, so long story short is I think at, at some point, you know, when we found out that we weren't able to find this, you know, mystical bus that supposedly was supposed to be there, we pulled out your phone because you had the cell service on your phone yeah. during our trip. Well, before we did that, we did knock on one door, rang a doorbell. That said something about visitors or something. We thought it was a visitor we center. We thought, you know, it was a, you had to go down this little alley and you go in and and uh, there was a door and it, it said something about visitors or some kind of advice. Visitor bureau or yeah, something. Yeah, it, uh, it was some kind of advice. Oh, yeah, so advice. I thought, I thought, oh, this maybe this is it. So we went up to that door and we rang the doorbell and I'm looking and... Nobody's answering, and it says something about wait at this door, and you'll be given instructions or, or something weird. And I'm thinking, it just dawned on me all of a sudden. It was just like, oh, no, oh, something about being very private. Nothing would be told to anybody about your visit here or yeah. something. And so, I went, uh oh. Yeah, we figured out this, this was not the Minehead this was not- <laughs> Tourist Center. <laughs> So I said, let's get out of here. Yes. Quick. So we skedaddled <laughs> out of there. That's when we pulled out your phone and realized, I think we were like two miles away from Dunster and right. Dunster was in the behind rear us. behind us. So we had actually passed it on the bus. Yeah. Uh, by this time we figured. Let me refer back to the couple that got off the bus. Yeah. Too far to walk. Yeah. So uh, I think long story short on this one is we end up finding a taxi and we, yeah. we made a taxi to our B&B in Dunster, landed at our, our B&B. And from there, our experience in Dunster commences. Yes. Yeah. And it was in that experience that we ran into that couple that got off the bus. Yeah. Hey, and also just a, a preview for our next podcast to come. So this is, I believe this particular trip is the last time that this bus confusion is ever going to happen to me. Because when you listen to our next podcast, <laughs> I found the secret to knowing where you are on a bus. But you're going to have to wait till next time for me to reveal that to you. It's, <laughs> it's fantastic. So let's talk about Dunster, Julie. Okay, so we're, we're in the village, and we got off at the bus stop and went to what looked like the main road of the village and started walking down that, looking for our B&B. Walking down that main road, I mean, totally felt old. You could see the buildings were ancient. The church that you saw, I mean, you were just walking down the road. It was very breathtaking for me. Hmm. And you know you had the the cobblestones, and you saw structures that you you didn't quite know what they were. I will tell you about that later. And I really was overtaken by 
the antiquity of this place. Mm. It was really, really something. Yeah, very small. So, I mean, there's basically mm-hmm. one main road that yeah. kind of zigzags its way through the small village. Yeah. It's like a few blocks, mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. That's it. But it's, uh, it's quaint. Again, it's got that old feel. And so, you know, when you go to Dunster, I think the first thing that you're going to do is kind of soak up the vibe of yeah. Dunster Village because yeah. that's the essence of this place. And, and walking down the the main road um, on the top of a hill is the castle, and it's, it's very visible, and it just looks magnificent. So basically, in the village of Dunster, you've got a small collection of some shops, some restaurants, a tea shop or two. The lodging. And then some, yeah, B&B type of, you know, quaint lodgings. The church, the old, the mm-hmm. old buildings that they've restored and kept, you know, kept up. It was, it was very nice. Well, we're actually going to take you through about 10 things that you can do in the village of Dunster. So, you know, soaking up the village is number one. The second thing that we're going to point you to, and it's the main attraction in Dunster, and that's Dunster Castle. So it turned out that for us, this was maybe not even a five-minute walk from our B&B. The castle, the day that we planned to visit it, opened at 11 a.m., but we got there an hour early because we found out that we were able to tour the gardens that surrounded the castle Mm -hmm. starting at 10 Mm a.m., You know, we figured we'd start to do that and be at the castle at its opening and hopefully try to avoid some of the crowds. A little background on this castle. So there was a Norman back in the day named William de Mohun who built a castle at Dunster, first made out of wood. It was later rebuilt in stone. And in 1379, Dunster Castle passed to the Luttrell family, who then for the next 600 years, 21 generations of this family lived at the castle. And when you visit there, you're going to learn a lot about the Luttrell clan Mm -hmm. because they have a lot of history devoted to this castle. And ultimately, the small town grew up around the castle through the Middle Ages and, uh, you know, survives through today. You can actually look down the street up to the castle. And as you're looking at this little village, you can actually feel that Norman layout, the way Mm -hmm. they laid things out, because the castle was the center and around it was the village um, down below. And that's how they used to uh, build their villages then. And mm-hmm. there was a very specific purpose for it because it helped in defense. And um, the villagers were supposedly helped by the elites, the people that had the money and the monarchies or whatever you want to call it, to survive. So they would, they would plant themselves close to the castles. Hey, so given that the first thing that we did there, Julie, was see the gardens, why don't you take us through that visit? So we went up to the castle area and realized that um, it wasn't quite open. So we took off to the many paths in this garden that surrounds the castle. It was breathtakingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. It had plants that were native. It had plants that were brought over. It had these ginormous trees. Some of them were labeled sequoias. They weren't like the redwood sequoias you would see in California where we live, but they were quite large. You could tell they had been around for a long time. I think they were related, though, to that variety of tree. Yeah, Yeah, they had um, hydrangeas that were huge. I mean, they were like soccer ball huge. And colors were beautiful and vibrant. They have a lot of people that volunteer and they tend the garden. We talked to a few. We as talked we're to a few. We passed by a few. They were very, very friendly, very sweet, and very hardworking because that's a lot of work. 
And there's a stream that goes through the gardens that I don't know what the stream mm. is called, but there's these palm plants or what do we call them? Like they were, they were so huge that the leaf itself was at least four by six feet. I mean, it was huge. Yeah, some of these plants that we saw, I mean, they, they were so large that it almost struck me as like something that you would probably would have seen. I would imagine that you would have seen like in Jurassic times or something. They were just almost like out of this world. They were so big. Huge. And those were all by the water. Yeah. So they, they thrive on water. Yeah. It was a beautiful walk. Mm-hmm. We really had a good time. We stopped at the Love Bridge and Took a little picture at the we Love did. Bridge. Yeah, took a lot of photos. Yes. I think we spent probably you know almost a good hour strolling through the gardens before we got to the castle. One of the stops along the way through the garden path was a watermill. So on the grounds of Dunster Castle, there's an 18th century old but still working today watermill that you're going to get to just after you cross the Love Bridge that you mentioned, Julie. Mm-hmm. The Dunster Watermill is leased to a private company today, and they run this as a tourist attraction, and it, the watermill is open open to visitors to tour and we stepped inside and looked around. So one of the things that you're able to do is you're able to walk through several levels of the watermill structure itself. If you want to go to the very top though, it's kind of a steep climb up on a kind of a ladder-like stair system. So you need to be pretty comfortable going up. What I seem to recall were kind of narrow but steep steps. So you know, right. maybe not for everybody. Right. But if you're able to make it up there, just kind of need to see how this watermill structure was built back in the day, how it works today. When we walked in, there was actually people in there who were getting ready to start the milling process. Mm-hmm. And you can actually buy um, grain that's milled there Uh, They sell it, they grind it every day, and they actually get through six to eight tons of flour every single year. That's sold at the Dunster Castle gift shop. And if you're into baking and bread, which we recently have been doing ourselves too, it's kind of neat to see how this whole process works. Mm -hmm. I believe you can, and I don't know if you would want to do this if you live in the States, but they do have an internet site if you wanted to order the flower. And definitely if you live in the UK, that's an option that's for you. That's a big option yeah. for you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So our next stop was the castle itself. Yeah, so we finally made it back to the castle and we had um, kind of come up through the back this time and we took this little small narrow tunnel through into the open area in the front of the castle. Mm-hmm. Went up to the um, docents that were there and they were like, come on in. So there was an option as we were walking in uh, for two additional tours that did cost a little bit extra. One was a kitchen tour and there was a second tour that um, I think explored a little bit more upstairs or up a tower in the castle. Those were options we decided not to take. Yeah, we just did the basic. Yeah, they were, I think, like 40, 45 minutes extra, and we just wanted to walk through kind of casually by ourselves. So we stepped in. The castle was refurbished in many of the rooms, not all of them. The castle had gone into disrepair. The Luttrell family did become unable to support the castle at one point. And after generation after generation, uh, the last generation that owned it decided to uh, give it over to a national trust in England. So they began the restoration process. So the national trust began the the, uh, restoration process, and they did an absolutely beautiful job. 
you walk in and the woodwork is exquisite and beautiful, especially the stairway up into the second floor. Very intricate carving on the wood. The displays in the dining room um, were just absolutely gorgeous, gigantic table with all this beautiful dinnerware on it. So they displayed what it would be like if, if there was uh, maybe a party there mm-hmm. or something. And lots of portraits on the walls. Many, artwork. many portraits. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that helps when you're actually walking through the castle itself, we were given a guide reference piece. And so that basically pointed you through what the path was that you would take through the castle. And then it kind of pointed out what the different parts of the castle were and a little bit right. about their significance. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a guided tour with a docent. We also didn't have, and I don't know that they had available, they're like an audio tour, but having this... No, rev- they did not. Yeah, so the reference piece just made it where you were able to identify what you were... What it is that you were seeing and what the significance of the various rooms were right and next to that dining room there was that kitchen area Mm -hmm. so you could see where you know they had a servant area where people would serve the food which was very interesting because i thought it'd be a little bit larger and it wasn't but i remember the one thing i i did do was stand at the kitchen sink and look out the window and there was this magnificent view of Mm. the ocean Mm -hmm. i mean it was gorgeous the bristol channel uh, the Bristol yeah. Channel, yeah. 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 And it was just absolutely gorgeous to see because you saw the rolling hills and the greenery and it, the blue of the ocean, the sparkling of the um, sun off mm. the ocean. It, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was just gorgeous. Yeah. When we were downstairs, one of the, the pieces that we came across was a Bluthner baby grand piano that had a sign on it that said, guests can play on it if they know how. And that's usually something that you don't see in places like this. Usually it's hands off of everything. Mm -hmm. But since the sign said you could play it, I looked around and said, hey, I'm I'm going to take it for a spin. Yeah, so actually uh, got through uh, Chopin Mazurka on that piano. And given that it was a couple of weeks since I was able to be on a piano myself during our trips, that was kind of nice to get a little bit of that in there. I know we took a video of that too, and I don't remember if we posted it on our blog so if we didn't i'm going to go back and throw it on there but it might actually be on there for the blog post of the day that we visited dunster mm-hmm. castle so we'll mm-hmm. we'll see about adding that to the show notes too if we, we don't have it so you'd get a chance to hear that bluthner baby grand piano and yours truly uh taking it for a spin yes. very impressive was the homes library and next to that, the billiard room. Oh, yes. The billiard room was, was, uh, gave us quite a chuckle, I believe. Because the largest pool table I think I've ever seen in my it life. It was very, very yeah. huge. And it had a lot of rules written on the walls of the billiard room. Yeah, about at least 60 rules of... I've never seen so many rules. Yeah. But one of the ones that stood out for us the most was the players would ask for silence in the room and you had to by golly you better be quiet and nobody in the room can offer advice i know a lot of people that do that so i think that's a pretty good rule yeah i mean there's so many rules i bet back in the day there was probably violations of those rules and there's probably several arguments that very many arguments i'm sure and it was probably very precarious because right next to the billiard room was the gun room that's right so (laughs) Imagine what happened back then when there was a little argument or a spat that happened in the billiard room and <laughs> access to guns just next door. Yeah. But they, did, they didn't tell us anything about that. No, they so didn't. We're speculating. Yes. So, and upstairs, we were looking through some of the bedrooms, and they were very nicely done. Very interesting to see. 
everything seemed a little smaller to me, and I and I do think that people were smaller back then. It was probably a lot to do with diet and stuff. But I remember we were just innocently in this one room, and all of a sudden this alarm goes off, and we're looking around like, what, what, what did we do? What did we do? Yeah, I know what we did. <laughs> well, you know now, because in comes running this lady, and she said that we leaned over a little bit too far. Yeah, I, I think I was trying to get a photo of something. Yeah. And you probably put the, you know, put your hands out and leaned yeah. over, and there is sensors all over that room, and they we set it off. So luckily, we didn't get kicked out of the castle. They let us stay. Yeah, but you got to be careful. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so you be don't set, set off the alarm. Yeah, so I mean, overall, we spent two hours at, at the castle, um, which was a good amount of time. I think if if somebody had more time available to them, you could take some of those optional tours. You could spend a little bit longer there. But for us, you know, two hours was just fine. The other thing that I'd recommend is if you do go to the castle, you know, we got there right when it opened and we were able to get through everything just fine. By the time we got out, which was probably maybe closer to 1 p.m. or so, there was buses rolling up with dozens and dozens of people and it was starting to get really crowded. So if you visit the castle later in the day, you're going to deal with more crowds. So if you want to have a more kind of private experience, get there when it first opens up, I think would be a, a recommendation. Yes, I agree. The other item that we wanted to talk about was the Priory Church of St. George. Number three on our list. Number three on the list. So we headed over to tour the church on our own. We didn't call or do anything like that. We just walked on over. Um, it is mostly a 15th century building. Um, they have remnants from the early 1200s. We started with the tour of the grounds. They had a number of weathered headstones that you couldn't really read anything off of, any names or dates or anything. So they were very weathered, which tells me that they were probably somewhat old, could have been from the 1700s, 1800s. Couldn't see anything that was any older than that. I'm sure there was, but those headstones could be long gone. Yeah. We uh, went inside, and um, there were several um, informational pamphlets that we could look at Mm -hmm. as we toured the church. And so we looked at several things. The first thing that you saw, I think, which you're always kind of heading towards is the pipe organ. People probably would have zero idea is, you know, one of my backgrounds and one of the things I do is I I am a keyboard player. So yeah, anytime I see a piano or an organ or a harpsichord, it's kind of like a magnet for me. And Mm -hmm. obviously in in any old church like this, you usually have, you know, some historic organ. So this church did have a historic instrument and there was some information there about it. So that, that caught my eye. And even though we weren't able to hear the instrument, you know, there was some some nice historic information presented about it. So, so that occupied a little bit of my time. The other thing, and, and you know, I, th- I think you, know, you and I, when we go visit places, usually when there's a, a church to visit, we, we usually make a point to stop inside because they're, they're usually fairly interesting for a, a whole lot of reasons to visit and view. One of the things I was interested during the, our time in England, and this church would have been an example. So like, as you mentioned, there was parts of this, this church that went back to the 1200s. Mm-hmm. And so obviously this church would have existed or was started in Roman Catholic times. Mm-hmm. And I think this particular church was started by the Benedictines, right? There, the history of the church includes a separation of the Catholic portion or the Benedictine side of the church and the Anglican or Church of yeah. England, which, which, was, which imp- was the other side of the church. And they're separated by yeah. what they call a rood, 
which is a partition. Yeah. And that partition in this particular church is one of the largest partitions in England. In a church. In a church. Yeah. yeah. And it is mostly intact. They had to do some restorative work on it because it is quite, quite ancient. They date this rood back to the 1500s. So it is extremely old. And it separated the Catholics from the Protestants, basically, is what it did. And they did not cross over. They didn't share in their worship and they didn't it was a complete separation yeah so at the time that the church of england became a thing there was in this particular church as you mentioned this you know the benedictines shall not cross to their side and vice versa the thing that that i was kind of looking for though was prior to the church of england even becoming a thing and back when this would have been solely a roman catholic church you're looking for some history about that. And one of the things I think that was almost universal in just about every church that we walked into that had a Roman Catholic inception, but ultimately became part of the Church of England, that initial history was almost not told at all other than you'd maybe like at this church, you got one line that it had the Benedictine origin and then all of the other history that was presented was post the Church of England. So I, th- I think that's an opportunity from a historic perspective that could be embellished and added in some of these places because there, some of it is just not told. <laughs> and yeah. There's more of the history there than... Yeah. Uh, there are historians outside of the church, and especially in Dunster, because they've had some digs there mm-hmm. um, pretty recently, that are very interested in the Benedictine cloister because it is pretty much gone. There's only tiny remnants of it left. Mm-hmm. Most of it is buried between under earth they do have other catholic identity buildings there too which we will talk about in Mm -hmm, a few minutes mm -hmm. but that cloister that benedictine cloister is is gone yeah when you're in the the village of dunster other than dunster castle and as you're walking through the village one of the things that's going to catch your eye is this church so Mm -hmm. if you're in dunster and again it's a very small village do take the time to tour the church it's kind of a Neat to see because you know it's got a yeah, lot again, of again. It's neat, very ancient. Yeah, it's it's very ancient, Good and history. you can see you can see that history in it. They even have the um, crypts of the Luttrells there. Mm-hmm. So the Luttrells were very active um, in in church in their church at that time. Too. Yep. So talking about history and talking about the Luttrells, we're going to go to our number four thing to do in the village of Dunster, and that's the yarn market. So this was built in 1647 by George Luttrell, who is part of the Luttrell family, obviously, and constructed this market to give shelter to the traders and the wares that they had from the rain and to provide a bit of security for their wares. So this market, it's basically this this roundish type of structure that, again, if you're in Dunster Village, you're you not going to miss it. it because as you're going up the main road, you pass right by it. It takes maybe all of five minutes to visit it, probably do it some justice. Inside of the structure, there's a little placard that gives a little bit of the history about this. So not a whole lot to see there, but I'd recommend, you know, do stop by, read the placard, and you'll get a sense of what this particular structure meant to to the village yeah. back in the day. Yeah, especially if you love history. I mean, this is yeah. quite a find. Yeah. This is something that's pretty... You don't find this anymore. I mean, usually those marketplaces that are that old are destroyed and gone, long gone. And as we mentioned at the top of this podcast, you know, back in the day, 
Dunster was known for its cloth trade, its wool trade, and this yarn market is where those wares would have been made available for sale to people. Mm -hmm. So a neat thing to see. We also stopped, uh, this is number five on our list, in the Dunster Museum and Dolls Collection. And Mm -hmm. we almost didn't go in there. We kind of thought it was going to be really tiny and not really offer that much. But we did. We decided to stop. And when we went into the building... We were pleased to see that there was quite a bit of history, Dunster history, that was put on placards Mm -hmm. all through this little museum in the upstairs. The series of placards with the history is a result of those digs that I spoke about before that uh, archaeologists went in and did several small digs throughout Dunster and they found a lot of information and they decided that they wanted to share that with the community. Mm -hmm. So that's how these these informational historical placards uh, came into being. Yeah, and what was neat to me is they actually start with, I mean, the earliest history that they present is they go they go back all the way like to the Stone Age. Uh, all the way back, yeah. And so they have information about what they've been able to learn about, you know, the geology of this place from that time, and they'll take you through the centuries. I think we actually learned more about the church on one of the placards than right. by visiting this museum than we actually learned inside the church itself. So It'll open up more information to you about this village that you're in. Yeah. The other thing, you know, you had mentioned these these digs that happened in Dunster. It wasn't that long ago that we were actually, you know, pulling up some various pieces on YouTube about Dunster. And so I, what I'd recommend is if you have in, interest in this village is do go to YouTube and you're going to find a series of, I think it was about eight videos that were the Dunster digs. Mm-hmm. And that'll give you a sense of what these archaeologists went through. And as you mentioned, I think it was in fairly recent times, probably just a yes. few years ago. Just, yeah, not long ago at all. I think they're just at today just scratching the surface of learning about some of the history of Dunster that's probably buried under the earth mm-hmm. um, you know, we talked about some of the placards that are in there you've got you know information about the church you've got information about what the town went through during world war ii about how education flourished in the town of dunster again you know you've had a population ranging in just the hun- you know few hundred people but quite a lot that has happened in the, in the village of dunster so you know do stop at the museum take a, a peek at it in addition to the museum and the history though there's also a th- and i think this is in the upstairs section there's a bunch of these dolls julie huh yeah it is the doll museum also And as you're walking up the stairs, um, I thought it would kind of be exclusively that because they kind of display some of the dolls. And then you get a little bit further into this upstairs museum and you can see this whole display of dolls. Some look very old. Whenever I see dolls like that, I always get taken back to and I can't remember the name of it, but there was this old movie that Karen Black was in that had this little doll that came to life and it terrorized her and <laughs> i always get that oh, the in trilogy of terror the trilogy of terror yeah oh my goodness so no trilogy of ter- terror in this museum but um again okay, i did not see that at all it's just me <laughs> it's just me dunster museum is is definitely you know something we'd recommend that you do and i think you know you could probably get through there at half hour yeah d- definitely i um, mean unless you read every word yeah, I mean, you, you, you could spend yeah. more time in there. Yeah. And, and it's probably one of these places where if you have some time to talk to the docents, 
they'll you know share more information about what they know and so you know you could probably spend as little as just kind of walk through there really quick as as little as Mm -hmm. 15 minutes i'd probably recommend a little longer than that and again if you want to soak up and read up all the information you can probably spend a a nice hour by the way it's free oh that's great Another thing that's free, we'll go, we'll go to number six. And this was when I knew that we were going to go to Dunster. And when I looked at, on the map where it was, this actually caught my eye because we're big national parks people in the United States. Mm-hmm. And Dunster sits right, I think it's kind of like on the edge of Exmoor National Park. So when you're going into the village of Dunster and kind of going up the main road that winds its way through the village, there is an Exmoor National Park Visitor Center there. So probably a good idea to stop in there and talk to the folks in there if you want some information and tips about where to walk and hike if you want to explore a little bit of Exmoor National Park. It's actually you know fairly extensive, and I think we were, we were able to kind of just scratch the surface of it. But we did spend some time hiking through the park so what we ended up doing is as you go through the village of dunster and if you you know as you go through the main road that will take you to minehead and you go to the village of dunster and you pass all the shops and the b&bs and you just keep going you'll ultimately pass through this bridge that's called gallux bridge mm-hmm. and within not even a hundred feet or 100 yards or so you're at various options of hiking trails right it splits off yeah they'll take you to Exmoor national Mm -hmm. park so we spent an afternoon on one of the trails and it was just a nice experience just to kind of walk through the greenery there Mm -hmm. very quiet we were the only ones on the path we were looking for a place that was on one of the signs that was leading to something called Bat's Castle, and we didn't had no idea what it was, but it we sounded no interesting. Idea. Yeah, so we so thought we, did, we decided to take off in that direction. We did walk through this little area that had these old thatched homes. Do you remember that as we were walking through? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they had these old thatched homes. Well, I found out through um, the YouTube videos that we mentioned about the Dunster Digs that the harbor area actually came all the way up to this. There's a meadow in front of it. There's mm-hmm. a, Right now there's a meadow. But the water and the harbor actually came all the way up to this area and ships would actually come in. Mm-hmm. And this area of these beautiful little thatched homes was actually the kind of the red light district of of its time. Where the sailors would gather. The sailors would come and the sailors, you know, uh, needed refreshment and I guess other things too. Some kind of entertainment. Yes. So, yeah. So, which is very interesting to look at the layout of it too. Now that I look back that, you know, to think that there was water that was actually lapping the shores of that area. Mm Also, Dunster Castle and that whole area. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of mind-blowing to think that was, you know, the landscape really looked like that once. Yeah, upon a so time. there's there's no water from Bristol Channel that rises mm-hmm. up this high anymore, but yeah, once upon a time it did. Yeah. So that's uh, part of what we learned here, too. Back to Exmoor National Park, if you like nature, if you like hiking, if you spend a few days in the village of Dunster, one of the things that you could do to occupy your time is just spend some quiet time walking through this beautiful landscape that's nearby. 
And if you do stop at the visitor center, you might have better luck than us actually finding Bat's Castle because we went off in search of it. and We were uh, so close. Yeah, we found out later that we were really, really close, but when we were there, we didn't find we it. no idea. Partly because we didn't know exactly what we were looking for either. But we were so close. Yeah. If we had just gone through that one gate, we would have been fine. Yeah. And then there's a carved bear there. If you see the carved bear, you're really close. There's a hint. Also, you didn't speak about the Galax Bridge and what that was all about during the Middle oh, Ages. Yeah, so, yeah, I had mentioned Galax Bridge, which mm-hmm. is G-A-L-L-O-X, which is uh, one letter off from the word gallo. Mm-hmm. And I think... Probably maybe close to the time that you mentioned of when there was water that went up this high. Back in the medieval times, passing over this bridge actually led to the gallows. And so those who had an unfortunate fate would have been trekked up over, at probably at that time, Gallows Bridge to a not-so-pleasant end, end and yeah. would have been uh, paraded through the, paraded the, this through. area. Actually yeah. paraded yeah. through, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things we might have learned on the uh, when we were watching the historians talk the about the Dig yeah, videos. Yeah. yeah, it was they were quite interesting. Um, we also, though, it was very pleasant at, at, when we went over the Gallic Bridge because there's a beautiful little waiting area where the stream comes through, mm-hmm. and the animals love it there. They people from the area bring their animals and they just go yeah. romp and play in the water. And yeah, every every time we walked by there there was people playing with their dogs in there yeah. so the dogs would be, you know, playing fetch and having a good times, which brings me to during the course of this podcast if you happen to hear <laughs> barking dogs and a hound dog howling, ours are in a back room <laughs> making a little bit of noise. They so miss me. <laughs> Yeah. There there there's a little separation going on yes. right now. So number seven on our list is Dunster Beach. Mm -hmm. To get to Dunster Beach, we had to do a little bit of hiking. And we headed from the village and we went to down the hill to Dunster Steep, which led us to the subway. Now, when we say subway, and I think we've mentioned this before, we think in America of something that a underground train is going through. Mm -hmm. That's not what they call a subway here. This is a tunnel that goes through or under a, a road. Yes. We would and call so it an underpass. We would probably. call it an underpass or something, but they call it a subway. We had kind of mapped out a little bit where, which way we we're going to go. And I had an idea of where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But you had another idea. You decided that you wanted to go check out where the steam train was. Because yeah, we were going to... End up there when we left Dunster. Yeah, so I have this habit of, I think, you know, wanting to know what things are going to be like in advance. So knowing that we were going to catch the steam train the next day, given that we were going to be kind of close by or in the vicinity of where the station was, I thought, hey, we do a, a slight detour and just make sure that we knew exactly how to get there. So I diverted us. <laughs> probably from going straight to the beach to first let's walk by the um, the train stop for the West Somerset Railway, which was actually not that far away from the main no, path. It anyways. wasn't too far, but you're always diverting onto what I feel are dangerous roads. I, I don't like to be walking next to high speeding cars as come on. Going. You enjoy the adventure, don't you? <laughs> I don't want to be hit. That would hurt. <laughs> we were all safe. 
<laughs> so we eventually found our way to the railway station and we kind of checked out the schedules and any mm-hmm. information that we might mm-hmm. want to know from the gentleman that was there who was very friendly, very nice. And they kind of try to put themselves as an old time conductor type. Mm-hmm. It seemed like to me that they mm-hmm. were kind of playing that role. So that was kind of fun, too. Yeah, yeah. After that, and and basically this this was pretty much on the way to Dunster Beach. But to get there, there's these walking paths Mm -hmm. that took us through pastures, kind of, you know, small farmlands on these houses. And the way these walking paths worked is, you know, you'd walk a little bit and you'd come to a gate. You'd have to open the gate, close the gate, and then you'd walk a little more, pass a cow, say hi to the cow, open the gate, close the gate, walk by some I mean, chickens. You're, not, you're and, not in the pasture with the cows. There is no, separation. But no. the trail is between fences, but you see the cows. Yeah. And so thus, you know, you have to close the gates because you don't want... That's how they keep the animals from escaping. Maybe it's a common thing in England to just, you know, for us, you know, when we do any kind of walking or hiking over here, we don't have this whole system of gates. So it was a little bit of a, of a different and new experience for us. Mm-hmm. But after we opened and closed probably a dozen gates or so. It we, took about 45 minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. And we got there. We got to the beach and, it, and uh, right next to this little golf course mm-hmm. type of area, and across from the golf course were these rental homes, beach rental homes. I remember when we got to the the beach, if you looked right, these there was these little cottages that seemed like as far as the eye could see. Mm-hmm. There was just all lined up. Yeah, one all. after another yeah. after another. And so I imagine that this is probably a fairly popular place for people to I'm assuming they rent these cottages out mm-hmm. for, you know, small vacations. So that would be an option too, you know, rather than staying in the village part of Dunster, you could rent out, you know, probably one of these cottages on the beach and spend a few days there too, and that would be uh, a neat time. Yeah, and I think it would be a, a absolutely wonderful especially if you like beach areas Mm -hmm. i mean it was very gorgeous yeah we got there and it was low tide so we were able to take a walk yeah um after we got over the rocks you know and got onto the sandy area and just kind of stroll and we stroll we just kept strolling down the beach um i put my feet in the water Mm -hmm. and it was quite warm which surprised me yeah i thought it was going to be freezing cold and and yeah when i stuck my hand in the water it was way warmer than the ocean that we have here on the Pacific Coast in Southern California. I mean, that shocked me. Yeah, and yeah. the weather was great. You know, it was just a really, really nice time. We walked quite a bit. We were, you could see Minehead in the distance. That's, I mean, we were yeah. walking pretty far. Yeah, so, you know, I think to give you, again, you know, a little sense of, you know, what you can do in this town... It's very small, not a whole lot to do, but, you know, on the one end, you've got Exmoor National Park, which is, you know, quiet for the hiking. On this other end, you can spend quiet time walking on the Bristol Channel. And I think, you know, for me, when I think about Dunster, the probably the biggest takeaway I have about the experience was out of the three weeks we spent in the U.K., this felt like the most calm time, the most quiet time, the most tranquil time. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of people. Yeah, so um, if you like that, you know, kind of quietness. And if you want that for your holiday, you'll definitely get that in Dunster. Now, when we were coming back from our walk, we just turned around and started walking in the same direction we came from. Mm -hmm. And the tide was beginning to rise. Yeah. So you have to be aware of that also. No worries, because there is a walking path 
above the rocky area. So it's it's not like you're mm-hmm. going to get caught by the tide. Yeah. You'll just you'll just walk further up the rocky area onto the trail. Mm-hmm. So it took 3 hours from the time that we walked from Dunster Village to the beach and then back. Yeah. So it was a very relaxing, very nice time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. So I think the time we did this this basically was our morning this particular day. Yeah. yeah. And if you wanted to, you could Spend even longer time. Mm-hmm. You could bring food to the beach, um, sit down, relax, maybe some chairs, whatever you want to, you know, to do if you want a longer time at the beach to make yourself comfortable. So yeah. it was it was something that when I think about going back to those cabins or something, I mean, it's, it's something I, I would do mm-hmm. for sure. I think the other thing that you probably are able to do, I'm not 100% sure, but I think if you keep walking in the direction of the village of Minehead, you could probably also just walk all the way to Minehead Village and spend some time there as well, too. So you know, I think it's like just about a two-mile distance from Dunster to Minehead. So you know, probably easily walkable in about an hour or so. And it, when you yeah. get to Minehead, you've got a you know a little bigger village uh, yeah. with shopping, shopping and, you know, and yeah. food yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, number eight on the list. The next item that we have on our list is a bit of an unusual thing, at least, you know, for us. And I'm going to put this one under the category of when you go to visit a place, you know, do look in advance to see if there's anything special or unique that's going to be happening in the village or town you're visiting during your visit there. It just so happened to turn out that for one of the days that we were in Dunster, there was going to be the Dunster Country Fair just south of the hill of where the castle is. Mm -hmm. So having never been to an English country fair before, we thought we can't pass this up. So we actually spent one afternoon at the uh, the one day only Dunster Country Fair, and that was kind of a neat experience. It was it was a great experience. There is an entrance fee. Mm-hmm. Um, it was minimal. It wasn't bad at all. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe somewhat typical of a lot of fairs. You know, there was a lot of food options. You had clothing for sale. You had people selling wares from jewelry to wood products. You had found a vendor that was selling old maps of different parts of England. So, yeah, we we spent some time looking at at some of those. One of the things that we saw here, though, that we've never seen in our lives before, and again, maybe it's a thing in the UK, um, I believe it would be illegal in California, and that would be the ferret races. Yes. That caught my eye quickly. And uh, just FYI, I believe it's illegal in the state of California to own a ferret. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. But in England, you can not only own them, you can race them. And And he had several. Yeah. So we had walked over. We saw those long colored tubes with some kind of wire mesh in between them. And I'm like, what is this? And we soon looked over and we saw all these cages Mm -hmm. um, sitting under a tented area and looked over, and there was these little furry animals in them. And I soon recognized them as a, as ferrets. And then you kind of started looking. You saw the signage and, mm-hmm. you know, ferret races. and People putting um, money down on these things. They were betting on yeah. these little guys. And it was... So we decided to stick around for the ferret race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've got a few photos of, of that experience, too, on the blog post from our day in Dunster. Other than that, you know, we spent some time on a hilltop watching. There was some entertainment. One of the things that we saw, there was an exhibition of kind of motorcycle stunt guys who were racing their bikes around, jumping through things, setting themselves on fire and, and that, yeah, that kind of fun pr- stuff. With protective suits on, yes. Yeah, so they survived the, the, the fire. There was a dog show that we saw part of that. There was uh, falcons on display. Uh, we didn't 
we weren't there to see them fly, but we were able to, to see the birds. So yeah, yeah. You know, it was just, just an interesting, an additional afternoon. So, you know, when you go to, to Dunster, there is a one out of 365 mm-hmm. chance that, that you'll be there on the day of the Dunster Country Fair. But other than the fair itself, I know that there's other special events that happen in the village of Dunster, you know, during the holiday time. Um, we just recently saw some videos of some, you know, pretty neat, kind of caroling type of events and whatnot that happened right. during the village of Dunster. So, you know, do do see what's on the, the local calendar? Because like, like most towns, there's things that happen throughout the year. And if you happen to be lucky enough to be in the town when something like that is happening, do experience the those unique events. So now we're going to say goodbye to Dunster. So we packed up. And it, as we had said before, we had checked out the West Somerset Railway because out of that little station is a steam-driven train. And it goes a certain section of the track, and it, it rides along the coast and through the farmland. Mm-hmm. So we did, And it takes longer using this train, but it was quite the experience because the train itself was old. Mm-hmm. And um, so we decided that that's what we're going to do. So we went to the station... I think we had gone a different route because we figured out we could get there faster using yeah. the other way. Yeah. And the train ride is about um, 75 minutes. And it will. It took us from Dunster to a small little place called Bishop's Liard. And I probably said that wrong, but that's where it stops. And we got off there onto our next destination, which was just a bus ride to Taunton, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we had we got off at Bishop Liard and then we took the bus to Taunton. Yeah, so you know to get from Taunton to Dunster, you've got at least a couple of options. If and and I'm going to preface this with so during our our time in the UK, we didn't have a car, so we were relying on public transportation. So if your visit there is like that, you've got the bus option that we mentioned at the top of the podcast, bus 28. Your other option is the West Somerset Railway, and I would highly, highly recommend either on your way into Dunster or on your way out of Dunster, at least one of those do hop on the train because it is um, a real neat historic experience. Yeah, it's an experience you will never get in in almost anywhere you go. So it was an incredible experience. It was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The train was refurbished to kind of keep that antiquity to it. Um, it was comfortable. The people were having fun. Um, there was food. You could buy food. There was a little area where they had all kinds of snacks that you could buy if if, if you wanted to. So yeah. uh, drinks, you know, if you're thirsty, there's drinks there. Yeah. So it was just a fun thing to do. Yeah. Different way of uh, getting to and from the town. We do have one more item that we would recommend on the list for Dunster. And we put this under the category of if we had more time, because we ran out of time and we're not able to get there. But number 10 would have been Cleve Abbey. So Cleve Abbey is just two miles west of Watchet. It's fairly close to Dunster, but you're going to have to get on some some transportation to get there. But this place will give you a glimpse of monastic life as it was 800 years ago. 
And even though the church itself was destroyed by Henry VIII during the dissolution in 1536, you can still see the cloister buildings, which include a gatehouse, a 15th century refectory with a glorious angel roof, and 13th century heraldic tiles that have survived through today and are remarkably intact. So quite a few things to see. If we ever make our way back to this area, it is probably going to be the number one thing on our list because uh, it's the one thing that we didn't get to <laughs> that otherwise would have been on our itinerary. We were just in Dunster, I think it was like two days. Yeah, so that's one more thing that you can do during your time in, Dun- in Dunster. Mm-hmm. So one of the interesting facts about the, the nunnery is um, in 1346, Cleve Abbey built a nunnery in Dunster, and we passed that yeah, several we times right when we were walking it. by. Yeah. Um, and it is labeled, and uh, we did think it was... A nunnery in its time, and that there were actually religious order there, kind of like a convent, like type a convent. Thing, yeah. yeah, but the interesting fact is, it was never occupied by any nuns, and it was only used as a guest house mm-hmm. for Cleve Abbey, mm-hmm. which is a little disappointing. But, yeah, so there's a little yeah. factoid about that. Hey, I'm going to jump over into food, Julie, okay. and I'm going to probably do a little Reader's Digest version on this. So. One of the things that kind of struck me in the village of Dunster is, one, you do have several restaurants available to you, but most of them are of the, uh, you know, first course, second course, you know, dessert type of variety. We had several enjoyable meals at several places. So we ate one night at the Stag's Head where we had some chickpea curries that were real enjoyable. We ate another night at the Yarn Market Restaurant. I think every place we ate at, we enjoyed what we had. So mm-hmm. you do have some some nice food options there. One of the different experiences we had was at Locke's Victorian Tea Room. So, you know, being in England, one of the things on our list was to have tea and scone. And, uh, you know, by the time we got to Dunster, we hadn't had that yet, I don't think. So we wanted to have that tea experience and uh, sat down at, at the tea room here to try to get the, the scone experience. Yeah, that was quite an experience. Only because of you... <laughs> Because apparently I don't know how to order tea and scone. (laughs) So here it is. Here it is. Okay, here's the experience. So Arthur orders tea and scone. And the waitress says, for one. And Arthur says, yes. So she... No. I said I wanted a scone for me and a tea for two. A scone for me and a tea for two. And then she said... She asked you for if you if that was for one, and you said yes. Yeah, I don't remember doing. And that. so when you said yes, that's when I looked and I went, "Why did he say yes? Why did you not correct?" So me? she came came back with tea for one. <laughs> so then I said, "What? I get no tea." And then we ordered another tea, and it was all well. But <laughs> yeah, I don't. Know, I screwed. But the up. waitress thought we were stupid. I thought we were stupid. I thought it was stupid. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you. <laughs> If you want a tea and scone, we recommend the Locks Victorian Tea Room in, in Dunster. You know, given that we had several, you know, nice meals in Dunster, but, you know, most of what we were coming across was, you know, again, the kind of the multi-course type of meal. And, 
I mean, not super expensive, but on the pricier side compared to fast food, we did for one of the nights, we just wanted something you know, much more simpler. So we had found a small little coffee shop that was just outside of the National Park Visitor Center where they sold some of these pasties, I believe they call them. Yeah. And so we just bought a couple of those, brought them back to our B&B, and then later you know, one evening, rather than doing the whole formal you know, multi-course dinner. We just sat on the patio of the B&B, you know, quiet time and just had some pasties and, you know, probably something to drink. And that was all fine too. So, so that's a little bit about food, you know, I'm not going to go into massive detail about the options. What we do also want to talk about is the lodging option. So you do have several B&B options. We elected to stay at the Exmoor house, which is just north of, you know, you, you pass the yarn market, you pass the church, it's on the main it's road. On the main road, and it's just right there at Dunster Castle. And we I mean. immensely enjoyed our time mm-hmm. at Exmoor House. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to Dunster, I would highly recommend this lodging. We had a phenomenal stay there. The rooms were clean and quiet. There was nice lounge areas for the guests there to relax at. Mm-hmm. And every morning they served breakfast. They did, and they had a menu that you could choose from. So you would sit down at breakfast and choose one of your options from the menu. I think one day we had a French toast. One day there was like a the full English breakfast experience. And right. so, so we had a few different options. And if you had requests, you know, certain requests they were definitely if they could fulfill it they definitely would have yeah and you know, i also want to give a shout out to there was one of the the servers there so there was a server who by the name of pepper who was really helpful for us who she was wonderful yeah even aside from you know helping us out and serving us breakfast when she found out where we were going and when we were going to leave dunster came back with you know detailed train timetable mm-hmm. and just all this kind of information that made our travels much more yeah. easier and, and, and pleasant and yeah. so you know absolutely wonderful just yeah. a, a phenomenal experience at the Exmoor house so as as we leave this podcast on Dunster we also want to leave you with a few top tips that we picked up on the journey tip number one is to buy a sandwich or pasty early in the day from one of the tea or coffee shop stands if you want a lighter and less expensive dinner although you would want to uh, frequent at least you know one of the restaurants there too because they all everyone that we, we stopped at had had a fine meal yeah. for us. Yeah. Be careful when walking the streets of Dunster. They're extremely narrow. I almost remember kind of just room for just one car to get, yeah. a, get by. And there's ways if you don't want to go down those narrow paths. If you want, It's a little bit longer, but you, there's ways to walk around that. Yeah. And our last tip, Julie, want to talk about cell phone coverage in Dunster? So while I'm in Dunster, I notice I am, I do not have any cell phone coverage. And... That was unnerving for me, especially because we had kids here that were watching the house and we have older parents. And if somebody needs to contact us, we need to be contacted immediately. And you had set up the special extra fee international plan to make sure you had coverage. I went through the whole international plan and made sure everything was good. And, you know, we were paying quite a bit for this, this international plan. So I waited till I got to the B&B and I had Wi-Fi Mm -hmm. and started to get on the website of Verizon and we were chatting, which is not easy to do, about what could be the problem Mm -hmm. with the phone. So this went on for a little bit. The anxiety level was quite high. We have come to learn that Dunster in that area is known for bad service, even with 
in the we had the international travel plan that picked up whatever the service was in that area. Well, Dunster doesn't even have that service. They, they're they kind of in a, a dark spot. Yeah, so the, the service that we had was Vodafone yeah. when we were in Dunster. And so you know, there may be other services that work better. But it turned out that Vodafone, as you mentioned, does have some coverage gaps in the village of Dunster. So if you're there and you find out that your cell phone isn't working, and if you're not from the UK like us and have an international plan, it may not be the case that your plan isn't working, but that you're just in kind of like a dead zone of coverage. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to Dunster, you may want to just make sure that whatever cell phone coverage you're expecting to work for you, that your provider actually has service there. Mm And that pretty much wraps up our recap of Dunster. So again, you know, we landed there because we wanted to soak up a sense of what Somerset is like. And this gave us a taste of that area. And we kind of recommend Dunster for those who are looking for a quiet place. If you like national parks, you're going to get that here. If you want history, you get that through the castle, through the museum. And if you just want, I think, to kind of slow down and relax, Dunster is a place that is going to give you that type of experience. Yes, and do be aware that that quiet experience is due to the fact that in the evenings, uh, a lot of things just kind of shut down. The shops are closed. People go home for the evening. Yeah, early evening. Families. Early. Yeah. Very early evening. Um, So be aware of that and be prepared with what you need before everything starts closing down. Mm -hmm. So next time when we talk with you, we'll be leaving Dunster and off to our next city in England. It'll be a bigger town. So we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks and uh, chat with you more about places to go to and visit in England. Thanks for joining us on The Places Where We Go. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.